Hey, thanks for tuning in to Hillside Juniata Sermons Podcast, where our goal is to make committed followers of Jesus. We want to encourage you that if you're not already connected to a local church, that you'll find a place where you can connect, grow, serve, and go. But wherever you are today, we hope and pray that God will use this sermon for His glory and our greatest good. Thanks again for tuning in. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, worship team, for leading us. Um, I don't know if you pay attention to the lyrics like I do. But uh, as we dive into Malachi today, I think we're going to see that the Lord was definitely at work in the preparation of our worship for His Word. So we're in Malachi today. If you're new with us, good, good job. You came at a great day. We're starting a new series in the book of Malachi called Fresh Faith. So uh, we're going to be looking at some very convicting realities so I don't know if, if any in the room, if there's any old Christians in here. Has anyone born and raised, you'd say that you've been walking with the Lord for quite some time. Uh, I know that I accepted the Lord when I was uh, between 7 and 12. I'll go with 12 years old was kind of the day that I really committed to the Lord. And I've been walking with Him ever since. And I think that for those of us who have had any time with the Lord, today is really, the book of Malachi is going to be for us. There's some very convicting things here, and uh, some, there's a problem that Malachi is going to address, and it's a problem that I can personally relate with. So uh, do we have any, like, church campers? Does anyone grow up going to church camp here? Okay, so a few. Okay, those of you who have gone to church camp, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But church camp was the first time that I really ever experienced what Malachi is going to talk about. So here's how church camp went for me, and I'll never forget this. I was a teenager, and we would go, and, and it was just, you, you disconnected from your regular routines of life. It was actually through Hillside that I went on church camp. And every single day, we were devoted to reading scripture. I actually opened my Bible. We would actually read the Word. We would actually sit quietly and ask the Lord to teach us and grow us. And we'd play football and, and crazy things at camp, you know, painting each other and getting hurt and all this crazy stuff. But then every single day, we would get together. We would sit under the Word of God. We would sit under worship. And it was amazing how clearly you can hear the Lord when you are absolutely focused on Him. And so we would go to these gatherings at church camp, and it was just like the Lord was there. And He would move, and he, it would be so clear, and we would just feel His presence. And it was like my heart would set on fire. And I'm, I'm like, this is what it should be all the time. You know, I was like, this is the best thing ever. And everyone at camp's like, we're never going home. This is the best thing ever. And then what would happen? Camp would be over, and all of the church, the camp, church camp goers would know you'd come back, and you very quickly fall right back into the old way of doing things. And you would slowly fade. I would stop reading my Bible. I would stop talking about him. I would stop having quiet times. And I would just fall right back into the old system. And I would be sitting there going, ah, where, you know, where's the Lord? You know, uh, I, I, everything that I did when I came home from camp, it felt like I began to just go through the motions. And I think that if you've been to church camp, if you've experienced that church high is what we would call it, and the crash afterwards, and you know what it is to try to walk with the Lord when there's no fire. There's no fire, there's no passion, there's, there's nothing inwardly that's, that's kind of spurring you on like you get at church camp. Malachi has something to say about that. And it's actually very convicting. And I have been wrestling through Malachi and it has been painful to say the least. I've been saying yikes all day long as I'm reading this. So Malachi addresses head on what happens when people, when his people, when God's people fall spiritually cold and numb. 
And I don't know if you've walked in today and you've ever experienced that, where you just feel cold. Spiritually speaking, you're just not, you don't really care about the things of the Lord. It's just kind of, you feel numb. And it's really hard to do life that way. And it's actually a very dangerous thing. So we're going to talk about that. That's why we've called this series Fresh Faith. Malachi is going to, by the word of the Lord through Malachi, is going to give us the reasons why we should have fresh faith. He's going to call us out. And our memory verse, if you're new with us, we have a memory verse for every series. Our memory verse, the theme of, of all of this book is going to come from Psalm chapter 51, verse 17. And it's our custom. We read this together to try to hide it in our hearts. So let's read this together. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. This is the posture that we need to take upon ourselves as we approach Malachi, as we approach the Lord. That the posture of our heart is one where we are broken, our heart is contrite toward the Lord, and that sacrifice, that approach to the Lord, he will not despise. And that's where we're going to be. So God is far more concerned, we say it all the time, about the posture of our heart than our religious acts. So over the next three weeks, we're going to pray that all of us will walk away with a fresh faith. I know I need it. I don't know if you need it here today, but we need a fresh faith. So by way of a quick snapshot of Malachi, uh, go ahead and turn there. It's actually going to be, on, if you don't have a Bible, uh, the Bible is behind, in the pew backs. It's page 857. If you go to the New Testament, Matthew, it's the last book of the Old Testament. So one book to the left. Or as Ashley would say, Malachi. He likes to call it Malachi. But it's Malachi, so turn to Malachi, and you'll see it's a very short book. Four chapters, so it's going to be easy for us to walk through and kind of chew. And I would just encourage you, as, you, as we walk through Malachi, just read it. It's a quick read, and just really let it sink into the depths of your heart as we, as we wrestle with this. Uh, but Malachi, just so that you're aware, it, it, that name means my messenger. So God used Malachi as a messenger to his people. It's a very deep book. contains theologically heavy material. And what's the context of what's happened here? The Jewish exiles, they had returned and the temple had finally been rebuilt. And the city of Jerusalem had returned to a substantial degree of the dangerous normalcy. And as this normous, it's in this normalcy where God's people grew apathetic. Is that not the case? Where things just kind of be normal. You know, we just, we go to church, you know, things are going good, there's nothing really rocking the boat, and it's in this state that God's people fall apathetic. And as a result, God through Malachi sends a word. And this word is very offensive. So the message God gave to his people through Malachi is, through taking notes, evaluate yourself and return to God. That's basically what we're going to hear through the book of Malachi. Evaluate yourself and return to God. And actually, it's interesting, before we jump in, we have the beautiful perspective of history. So us looking back on Malachi, we know that Malachi is actually going to be the last prophet that God sends. And after Malachi, there's going to be what they call the years, 400 years of silence. The 400 silent years where God did not speak to his people. And it would be 400 years until an angel appears to Mary. So God spoke through Malachi to his people, and he has a message for them, and they didn't know that it was going to be 400 years after where he would be silent. So here we see, looking in, the purpose of these questions was to help the people of God see the problem that is in their hearts. So we're going to begin. Uh, if you're there, uh, we're going to jump right into chapter, chapter 1. 
We're going to be in verse 6. And the first point we're going to talk about is the problem of half-hearted devotion. The problem of half-hearted devotion. And just jump back to the main point over all of this. Malachi is going to call us out. Give God your best, not what is left. Give God your best, not what is left. And he's going to dive right in to verse 6, to the problem of half-hearted devotion. Let's go ahead and read. So, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? See the capital M there. This is God speaking through Malachi. Where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Let's pause there. So we remember from our our, our walk through Zechariah, when you see the Lord of hosts, what what is he saying here? He's trying to remind them the Lord of hosts is who? The creator God of the universe. So what he's reminding them, he says, yes, am I gracious? Absolutely. Am I love? Absolutely. But we need not forget, church, that he is to be revered. God is holy. He is separate. He is all-powerful. He is the Lord of hosts. And when he brings a rebuke to his people, it comes from the Lord of hosts. So when we read this, we should go, "Uh uh-oh. God's given his kids a talking to, and we're we're his children. And we're observing here that he's about to, he's not very happy right now. So the Lord of hosts has something to say. And the question that he asks is twofold. And it's very instructed. He says, If a son honors his loving father, where's my honor? God is our loving, heavenly father. He is a father to his people. He cares for his people. He provides for his people. He disciplines his people. And it, is no, it should be no surprise to us that our heavenly father expects the same honor as a good earthly father. He then continues and says, if a servant respects his benevolent master and Lord, where's my respect? God is our benevolent master. He is our king. It's hard for us as Americans. We don't walk around with masters and lords and servants. That's not in our culture. So it's hard for us to see this, but we all have a boss. You know, we all know who's in charge at the house. Mine is currently homesick with my daughter. But you know who the master is. I digress. She's she's amazing. We're a team. Go team. Okay. But God is our benevolent master. Thank you. Good say. So he's the one who redeemed us. He's a good king. He's the one who protects his people. So it should be no surprise to us that our benevolent master is looking around saying, why are you giving honor to your earthly masters but not to me? Yikes. He does not waste any time to bring for us a very convicting message. And it's hard to even preach this because I'm a recipient of this as well. That as his children, he says this to us. And he calls them and he says, you have not honored me, nor have you respected me, is basically what he's saying. The Lord of hosts. And notice who he addresses this charge to. The priests. Oh, priests who defile, who despise me. The priests were the ones that represented God to the people. And the priests were the ones that weren't honoring God. They weren't respecting God. So that makes sense that if the priests aren't doing that, then surely the people aren't. The priests are the ones who have devoted themselves, who have consecrated themselves, they've given themselves to the Lord in ministry. And if they're despising the Lord, good luck to the rest of the world. And the term there, this despise, 
It's, it refers to the act of conveying insignificance and worthlessness. Now, I want to take a moment here and acknowledge how easy is it for us to display insignificance and worthlessness of the Lord. It's a subtle shift in perspective. It's going through the motions. And we are guilty of it. I am guilty of this all the time. When I forget who God is, I in so doing despise Him. I display Him as someone who's insignificant and worthless. And, it's a, and, and this word here, despise, it's like an attitude of ongoing disrespect. Parents in the room, we get a little glimpse of that when our kids just have this ongoing disrespect. Can you imagine the perfect one? God himself, the Lord of hosts, done nothing wrong, loves us more than we can possibly comprehend, and yet we despise him when we say, yeah, you're insignificant, you're actually worthless to me. So he has something to say. The problem with their half-hearted devotion to God showed It revealed. It will come out. When the depths of our heart are apathetic to the Lord, it comes out in our action. They despised God. God was unimportant. God was not revered. God was not significant. And what ended up happening is the priests were mere performers. This is not a show. Walking with the Lord is not a game. This is not something to stand up and try to be impressive. Go through the motions. Lift my hand here and stand on my position when necessary. Get behind the pulpit and just spew out religiosity. We are called to a dedicated, devoted life to the king. And you see right through. We see right through fake anybody. We know absolutely who's putting on a show and who desperately is seeking the king. It shows. When we walk this way, it is appalling. And it needs rebuke. This is incredible disrespect and dishonor. And it's, it's so simple for us to do. And this has been a problem, not just now, but this has been a problem for God's people throughout time. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, was quoted by Jesus actually in the New Testament, Matthew 15, 8, where he said this, and maybe you've heard this, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's so easy for us to be a whitewashed tomb where we look real polished on the outside. We're here, we show up, we do the right thing, we help people out, yet inwardly, we're dead. Inwardly, there's nothing there that says, God, I actually love you. We're trying to perform, and then somehow we're going to see there's a rebuke here. And I don't want to spoil it before we get there. So we're going to keep reading, and here he says, what's the proof of half-hearted devotion. What's the proof? At the end of verse 6, the people ask a question like a child does to their parent. Let's keep reading. O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Just picture that to a kid. What are you talking about, dad? How have I despised your name? Ouch. He continues, It says, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. So let's take a look here. Let's zoom in. They were presenting defiled offerings. So if you aren't aware, the old system of how they approached God, related with God, was in this temple. And they had what was called the sacrificial system. 
they had to present an unblemished, an unspotted lamb or sacrifice of some sort that would represent the perfect one who would pay the penalty for their sin. So they would lay this on the altar, spill its blood. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all pointing to Jesus. And they would present this to the Lord in hopes that they could commune with him and so be right with him. So what they were doing is they were giving God offerings that were insignificant and worthless. And by their insignificant and worthless offerings, they communicated that their worship of God was, in, was so insignificant and worthless. And this is where they clarify um, the point here. If we keep reading in verse 8, he says, The table of the Lord is to be despised. Verse 8, But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? So what they were doing, these are not people. They're not saying you present the blind people as an offering. They weren't sacrificing people. They were taking the, the blind lamb, the sick lamb, the one that had something wrong with it, and they were saying, we're going to give God this. But we know that God said, actually, you need to give me your very best. Do not give to me your worst. Do not give me your last. You give me your first. And what they were doing is they were just going through the motions and saying, oh, we need, to, we need to do this religious thing. Let's just give God the blind one. There's grace. Let's give him our last. There's grace. You know, he, he, he'll understand. Like, I was busy this week. There's grace. Ouch. God required their best. And in their half-heartedness, they gave him what was left. Ashley says this, if there's no sacrifice in your sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice. God does not want our good enough. He desires and deserves our very best. We need to remember who he is. And he asked that question, is it not evil? I think it's important for us to, to not make that separation. We think that in the church that there's grace when it comes to offering to the Lord. That God sees our, our effort and he says, you know what, good enough. Like your effort, I'll take that, that's good. And in a, in a sense, that is true. There is grace for you and I because we know all that I have to bring is a hallelujah. We just sang that today. All that I have to bring is a hallelujah. Everything that I try to muster up is, is filthy. It's not good. That's why we need Christ. But the thing is, is we fall into this mode of grace where we use grace to so despise the Lord. And we think that we're just going to give God what's left over and it's we forget who He is. We forget his sovereignty. We forget that he is the Lord of hosts. And so we fall into what he declares is evil. It's not just something to say, oh, well, maybe next time. He's saying here, it is evil for us to view God this way and to offer him our last. He doesn't want our good enough. He desires and deserves our best. And that is it not good enough. It was obviously rhetorical. Or is it not evil? Absolutely, it was evil. And he pointed out the absurdity of their actions, if we keep reading. And, and we'll, we'll understand this, absolutely. He says, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And continues. And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? He says, why not offer it to your governor? Would, would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? Says again, the Lord of hosts. What is he saying here? If we would give our governor, if we would give our government, if we would give those our boss, if we would give them our best, why would we not give God our best? We would never show up. I would never show up to your house with a half-eaten box of pizza. 
I would never come with something gross. I would never come with this thing that I'm like, hope you like it. You know, it's stinky and, and like, hey, here. That. What would that communicate to you? You'd say, wow, now I know how he thinks of me. You know, he, he does not respect me. He does not honor me. He does not think that I'm someone worthy of a good thing. So we do it all the time. We give the wrong people our best and we give God our worst. Think about our home. I am guilty of that all the time. I give all of you my best. I give you my suit and tie. You know, I give you my, my face and I go home and she gets my worst. That should not be the case. You should get my worst and she... No, just kidding. There should be this reality of who we are. That at the depths of who we are, we love God. And we know there's no, there's no place to approach the Lord and say, you can have anything less than my very best in this moment. We need to stop viewing him that way. That is evil. Let's keep reading in verse 9. But now, will you not entreat God's favor? If you write in your Bible, circle that word, entreat. That he may be gracious to us? This is very strong. With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? So let's go back. That word, entreat... It's actually the word flatter. It's like flattery. So it's figure, it's to smooth over. So we think they're like, oh, God will be gracious. No, he's saying flattery is an excessive and insincere praise given especially to further one's own interest. Ouch. I have fallen guilty of this so many times and I just want to share. We basically say, it's basically saying, will you now flatter God for his favor that he may be gracious to, to us? So they were half-hearted in their devotion to God, but they wanted God to be wholehearted, devoted, wholeheartedly devoted to them. This is a double standard, is it not? It's absolutely appalling to the Lord. They were not fully committed to God, but they wanted God to be fully committed to them. And they thought that if they could use flattery to smooth it over, that he might be tricked somehow. And those who try to flatter God, they do religious stuff just enough that they think it will appease God. But in reality, those actions are empty and there's a lack of wholehearted devotion. And I've been guilty of this many times. And maybe you have. Maybe something has come up in your life where it's been, you've been desperately in need of God. You haven't really been walking with the Lord. And I've, I've been a, a victim of this. I haven't really been walking with the Lord, but now all of a sudden I need God. So what do I do? I do what I call a spiritual intensive if you've been to college, there's an intensive is, is one week you go to school and you get the entire three credit hours for a 16-week course if you do it all in one week. And that's how I approach the Lord sometimes, and maybe you do the same. You have this really big need, and you think, okay, I'm going to hustle for a week. I'm going to give God everything. I'm going to stay up all night long. I'm going to put music on. I'm going to praise. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek Him. I'm going to give Him all of this for one week until the test and when the test is over, I think I should get credit for the whole three credit hours for the 16-hour course. That flattery should be viewed correctly. God's not fooled. God's not looking and going, wow, you know what? They should get credit for 16 hours for one week. You know, like they, they did a really good job. You know, I see that heart. I see that you really love me for that week. And you really want to go on vacation for the other 15. I get it. But there's grace, you know. We think that somehow by us going, I'm going to pray more, read more. I'm going to do all this stuff in this moment that God is somehow going, oh, wait, they do love me. God is not a fool. God will not be mocked. 
He is the Lord of hosts. He desires that we walk with Him. Flattery falls flat. It does not work. I wasn't fully committed, but when I wanted God, I wanted Him to be fully committed to me. It's not how it works with the King. I mean, we just say, try that in any relationship. See how that goes. Or you would say, hey, hey, honey, hey, boo, I want you to be fully committed to me, but I am not fully committed to you. Sounds abusive, doesn't it? That's scary. Why would we do that to the Lord? It's appalling. God does not receive what we say and do if it's half-hearted. So we need to give God our best, not what's left. And next we see that God is provoked. We see that the provocation of heart, half-hearted devotion in the rest of verse 9 and 10. It says, but now you will not entreat God's favor. You will not flatter God's favor that he may be gracious to us. With such an offering on your, port, on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. They thought that their good actions were winning God's approval. They thought by going to church, by reading their Bible, by praying, by doing these empty things where their heart was not in it, they were earning his favor. And he's actually saying, absolutely not. God, being worthy of all our devotion, will receive the devotion that he is due one day. But what we have done is we have provoked him. God said it was better to close the doors and shut down the whole temple than for us to bring these empty things to him. It was useless to light the fire on the altar if it was with half-hearted devotion. And I would love that to be the case here. May we not become a place where we just get into the habit of playing church. Nobody wants that. That's appalling. I don't want you to experience that when you come in here and see anyone up here, anyone out here, just being like, yeah, everything's good, great, this is awesome, and here's my best face, and do-do-do, emptiness. That's not who we are. God deserves our best. He deserves our honesty. Playing church, playing fake, it only does damage, and you know this. You've had people in your life who've played the game. It's hollow, it's appalling, it's disgusting. And what does it do? It mars the name of Jesus. May that not be who we are. God despises this. The truth is that before God accepts your actions, he will inspect your heart. He will inspect your heart. Let's keep reading. We know that God's going to say something here to the Israelites that is going to be very painful for them to hear and to swallow. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The Israelites would have been very upset by this. Because when he says among the nations, he is now saying beyond my chosen people, People from every corner of the world will celebrate me. They will praise me. They will give me this devotions. And, and what he's saying is, is, hey, Israel, 
I'm about to do something. I'm about to send my son. The end of Malachi gets ready for the New Testament. He's about to send. Jesus Christ is going to say, guess what, Israel? It's not just you anymore. Now we get to be a part of the story. And the Israelites thought, how could you, Dad? Like, we're your favorite. You know, you can't go out. You can't. Ouch. (laughs) But what were they doing? They were giving flattery. They were just going through the motions. They were just playing church. And he says, hey, by the way, I just... You need to know this. I'm going beyond. This is, this is now to the Gentiles. Whew. My name may no longer be esteemed by you, Israel, but a day is coming when it will be great to all the nations of the world. And so we get to participate. From the rising of the sun even to the setting. He's saying from the east to the west. From all over the world, he will be hallowed be his name. And that would have been revolting to the Jews. So God will receive glory and honor and devotion from us, from Gentiles, not just the Jews. It's just good news for you and I. So he said that there would be a people who lived outside of Israel who would then give God their best, not what was left. So with the last time we have, we always say, because this is true, what should we do? What should we do? We just want to call you to deepen your devotion. Deepen your devotion. Notice, we did not say, try harder, add more things to your calendar, become more religious. We said, deepen your devotion. This is a heart-level matter. We need to think rightly about God. We need to turn our devotion of our heart posture to the Lord. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Deepen our devotion to the King. I was greatly struck by verse 10. that said, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. And I want to ask, might there be one among us today, one, just one, who would say, yeah, we're not about that. I'm not about that. I'm not going to give you, God, useless fire. I'm not going to kindle the fire on this altar for anything less than my very best. He says, oh, that there will be one. Will you be that one? Will I be that one? Will we say, God, I'm going to devote to you. I'm going to give you my best Because you're worthy of it. Is there anyone here willing to do that? To stop giving the scraps of our life to the Lord, but to have a wholehearted devotion. And if you would like to be that one, if you'd like to even consider doing that, we would want to give you two steps that we think can help develop a wholehearted devotion and a fresh faith. And the first one is recognize. Remember, it's a a heart posture. It's a thought posture. Process. It's a, it's a change of vision, of thinking. Recognize there are many believers today who have a little bit of Jesus. Just enough to help them maybe feel good about eternity. They pray. Maybe they were baptized. They go to church every now and then. And they'll do something to help somebody. You, you better believe it, they will. But they do these things because it just helps them feel better about themselves. I fall prey to that as well. I don't know if you do. It feels good to help somebody. It feels good to do the right thing. But even that is empty if we're not saying, God, I'm doing this for you. Out of an overflow of gratitude for what you've done for me. I love you. And so I love people. There's a difference. Recognize the difference. It matters. They know the difference. So examine your heart. 
And here are a few signs to help us recognize if we have a half-hearted devotion. One, are you obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity in heaven? Is it all about the here and now that drives us? Understandably so. We have bills to pay, mouths to feed, things to do that require our immediate attention, the tyranny of the urgent. But if that is the obsession of our minds and our hearts, then maybe we're falling prey to a half-hearted devotion to the Lord. Remember, we are to lift our eyes beyond the mountain to the author and perfecter of our faith and chase after him. Recognize, are you obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity? 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a big deal. Number two, you rationalize sin and live without truly honoring and respecting God. And we do that culturally. Culturally, is re- they're really good at just renaming sin. We rationalize it. So instead of adultery, we say it was indiscretion. Or instead of pornography, we say it's adult entertainment. Instead of lying, we say, well, we're just stretching the truth. Swearing, we say, you know, it's just bad language. There's good, bad, you know. We, we try to make ourselves feel better. We try to make sin not so bad. Are we rationalizing sin and living without truly honoring and respecting God by giving sin a better name? Or the third, do we only turn to God when you need Him rather than seeking Him daily? And this is where I have struggled. See, God is not merely a... He's not a vending machine. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not someone that we approach and say, prayer, scripture, gathering, small groups, poof, I get three wishes. That's not who He is. He sees our heart. He knows who we are. He sees the depths of truth. He does not want empty worship. We need to not view God that way and recognize if that's how you've been spending your time, if you look back and think about when have I spent time with the Lord and if it's always linked to a need, if it's always linked to a a trial or a trouble, then maybe your heart has lent itself to a half-hearted devotion. May that not be. Daily bread is who who He is and what He gives us. And the second step after we recognize is to then realize. And this is a very specific word that we want to say realize because when we do not believe that God is real, nothing will change. I was in student ministry for years. Nothing changed for kids until they believed that God was really in the room and not just this idea. Until you and I begin to realize how real God is, that He is here, that He is within, that He is directing the course of our life, that He is the Lord of hosts, that He is not willing for, he is not okay with us giving him anything less than our best. That there is a war going on within us where he's changing us from the inside out that is no longer we who live but Christ in us. When we forget to realize that that God is who we're serving, then we fall easily into this one foot in, one foot out. I got a little bit of Jesus and he doesn't have full control of my life. It's not full surrender. Our devotion to God wanes because we fail to realize who he is and what he's done for us. We say it where you may have a head knowledge, but there's a big difference from your head to your heart. What is that, six, nine inches, seven inches? 
18? Thank you. There's a big difference. May our head knowledge sink to our hearts because that's what God wants. So at the foyer, I don't know if you got them when you came in. Um, I don't know if you see these blue cards. Does anyone see these blue cards? We want to give you these. These are 10 things that Jesus has done for us. 10. And I don't know, maybe some of you aren't, aren't list people or, or reminders like this, but we wanted to give you an opportunity to hide these truths in your heart. And may they not just be this, oh, yeah, I know that, I know that. Linger. Allow the truth of what God has done to sink into the depths of our heart. And the first one, I'll just read through them. He died so I might live. Does that affect you? Does that change anything about the way you live? He was condemned so that I might be forgiven. He was rejected so I might be accepted. Oh, how we long for acceptance and we hate rejection. He was despised so I might be loved. He was blamed so I might be blameless. Jesus was separated from God so that I might be reconciled to God. He, he became a servant so I might go free. He became sin so that I might become righteousness. Let that sink in. What? We become the righteousness of God because he became sin. Who knew no sin? That realization changes some things. He became poor that I might become rich. He will descend to earth so that I might ascend to heaven. If this realization doesn't change things, then maybe our hearts have fallen into a half-hearted devotion. And there are some very strong things to be said when that becomes the posture of our heart. Realize, recognize. So we changed. Because when you realize who Christ is, what he's done, it changes everything. They say it where you can't get hit by a truck and not show it. The Lord of hosts comes and takes up residence within us by his Holy Spirit. It's going to show. It's going to make a difference. There's going to be some destruction going on. You will respond with wholehearted devotion when you have that realization. And maybe you're here today and you have half-hearted devotion. The call would be surrender. Give God your best, not your worst, your last, your, what's left. But there may be someone here that don't even have a half-hearted devotion. They have no devotion. You came in and you said, I really don't care about God. Too much has happened in my life. I'm mad at him. I'm bitter. I don't believe he's real. Otherwise, why is he not answering my prayers? These are all real struggles. But until we have a heart change... Nothing will change. I want to call you. If you have no devotion and you're feeling inside you the Holy Spirit knocking at your heart saying, I'm calling you. And you want Jesus. You want a relationship with him. It's, it's easy as ABCs. Admit. This is confession, repentance. Confession is that I admit, I agree with you, God, that I've sinned. 
And when it says that we've missed the mark, it means that we have sinned, therefore we will ever be behind him, ever catching up to his holiness. We are unable to meet his perfect standard to have a relationship with him. We have sinned. Our sin has done that. We were born in that. We have actively committed sin. I agree with you. I'm missing the mark. Not only do I agree with you, but I am now seeing and I believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who could have paid that debt. That's why Jesus' perfect life mattered. I was later in my life that I realized, wow, his perfect life, is that's why. It's so that he could satisfy the perfection that God required for us to have a relationship with him. Because we bring filth. We bring nothing but a hallelujah. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put on you my perfection. And when you believe that, you receive that free gift, you commit your life to him, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, he will save you. You can be saved today. You can walk out of this room having a new devotion, having a heart change, and, and, and walking in the freedom and the life with Christ. And all you have to do is just admit, believe, confess, walk with God, and repent. Turn away and change your direction to the Lord. In fact, we'll finish with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, this is the best thing that we can give God. You want to know what we should put on the altar? Here's what Romans 12, chapter 1 says we should bring. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The sacrifice that God does not despise is a broken and contrite heart, and he wants us, all of us. Present your body as a living sacrifice. That is pleasing to the Lord. So if you want to know what to put on the altar, say, God, all of me. Wherever, whenever, whatever, I submit to you, King Jesus, you lead the way. Correct me where I'm wrong. I submit my wants to you. I submit my future to you, my life to you. You are in charge. And offer that to the Lord. Give him your life, your dreams, your possessions, your relationships, your career, your future. And when you live that way, Instead of being consumed with what people think about us, we're consumed with what God thinks about us. And I can assure you there's a world of a difference. Instead of rationalizing sins, we confess them before God. And we walk in life, in freedom. We're not just turning to God whenever we need Him. We're turning to Him for every moment, knowing that we need Him for every breath. That's who he is. The offering, this sacrifice, this is acceptable to God. So closing with Psalm 51, verse 17. Nico, could you put that back on the screen? I'd love for us just to read it again. And may this be our posture as we continue through the book of Malachi. As we read, I encourage you, please, read Malachi. It's four chapters. You can do it. You know, just take some time. Walk through it. Let's read this together. This is our approach. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. May that be our approach. When we give God our best, not what's left, when we deepen our devotion, we so then begin to experience a fresh faith. If you need a fresh faith, if you need life, if you want to be relit on fire, walk in this and so be changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your personal pursuit of us. 
And Father, I just, in light of this text, I can't help but just want to say I'm sorry. To ask for your forgiveness for the times that I've approached you this way. Or I've not given you my best. Or I've not recognized that you are the Lord of hosts. And you deserve all of me. Or I've been abusing your gift of grace. Thinking that I can demand your full devotion and only give you part of mine. Please forgive me, Lord, and help me to walk with you differently. Help me to give you my best. Help us, Lord, to see you clearly, to realize, to walk in your reality. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to to discipline us, to correct us, to not keep us or allow us to stay in our filth in the pig pen. But Lord, as we walk through this series together, we ask that you will do a work in us one that we can't conjure up ourselves, one that our actions will not do anything for us, but will you do a deep work within us that we will be fresh in our faith, we will desire you, we will have a a true devotion. Because you're worthy. So Lord, if nothing else, Lord, today may we acknowledge that you're worthy. And may you receive the honor that is due your name. May you receive the respect that's due your name, the praise and the glory. Lord, this is your story and we get to be a part of it. Help us to walk surrendered as we walk through Malachi together. Thank you for this book, for loving us. Thank you for not leaving us alone. May we respond to you appropriately in worship this week in Jesus' name. Amen. For visitors, I cry, and I've got tissues for it. Thank you, Maxine. But I do want to say, um, if you're going to continue with us, uh, it's going to be a good journey together. It's going to be convicting. Um, But I hope you stay with us.